0: with the relative humidity 77%. The news from RTHK.
1: Good morning and welcome to BackChat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Danny Gittings. On today's program we're looking at the evolution of book industry
2: first e-books and online retailers hit traditional brick-and-mortar retailers driving out big players such as Page One and Dymox from Hong Kong years ago.
1: But now are even online retailers in trouble? The UK-based online store Book Depository is set to close down after being in business for almost two decades.
2: This comes after its parent company Amazon announced plans to cut thousands of jobs as it shakes up businesses globally. So what's changed and how will it f- impact our reading culture?
1: After 9.45 we'll look at the Latest black faced spoonbill census.
2: Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, or we can email us at Backchat at RTHK or give us a call. The number there 233 266
1: Now, before we introduce our panel of guests, we have been talking to some customers of Book Depository, and here's what they think. I'm very upset when I know that book depository is shutting down. I mean, um, I'm poor. So when I go to the elite bookstore and I see a book I like, the first thing I do is to go to book depository and get the book from there instead because, you know, low prices, free shipping.
3: Their catalogue has been the biggest. If I were to look for anything I want to read, I'd probably have to use multiple sites to find the books that I want. Versus in the past, you know, book depository was more of a one-stop shop for everyone. We okay. think.
1: All right, uh, let's uh, get into our discussion now. In our Kowloon Tong studio, we have James Chong, the founder and CEO of Rolling Books, a social enterprise that promotes reading. And uh, in our Admiralty studio, we have Peter Gordon, the editor of the Asian Review of Books and a founder of e-bookseller Paddy Field. And also on the line, we have Vera Yoon, a lecturer at the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Business and Economics. Good morning, Mr Chong. Good morning. And good morning, Mr Gordon. And good morning, Ms Yoon. Thanks for joining us on on the program. Um, and now, Miss Chong, let's start with you. Uh, we just heard there from uh, some customers of Book Depository and uh, they didn't sound very happy with the news. Um, how significant do you think uh, Book Depository's closure is?
4: I think it's sort of significant, but at at the same time, it's trying to, like, um, shaken up the book industry, the book selling industry, especially like for us, like independent bookshop owners, Um, we we have a fine line, like surviving already, you know, between all these like um, chain bookstores and online bookshops. And what we are trying to do is like try to attract people to come into physical bookshops. And with this like closure of these online big bookshops, and I think um, we try to have a look at how the industry is changing and how we can attract more audience coming to physical bookshops right now
2: actually is it good news for independent books? we just heard on the clip didn't we we heard uh, one customer saying well i i walk into the bookshop i i see the book there and i order it from book depository it's uh, it's cheaper from book depository maybe in future that cus- uh, customer will buy the book in the bookshop instead
4: uh, in a way yes but at the same time like with the another clip was sharing like it's a, a big, one of the biggest online database like you, you can think of any books and you see any book reference you might be able to find out from book depository uh, instantly. But so I'm trying to say is like uh, the local independent bookshop. They should be looking at a new angle of how, in, in one way, they can order books for for the customers from overseas. But at the same time, they are trying to um, find out new interest from the readers and how to encourage them and engage them, uh, like in the physical bookshops, with specific themes.
2: Let's bring in uh, Peter Gordon, who's in our, our Queensway studio um, Peter Gordon, you, you have experience of running a, um, an online um, book, book sh- bookshop And also, I uh, have to say, sh- closing one down, right? You, you, uh, you were uh, the founder of Paddyfield, which mm. closed a number of years ago <clears throat> Well,
5: Paddyfield also had a large physical um, book presence as well Through book clubs and other things
2: So it was always half-half um, Yeah, I think we read the writing on the wall so, this is, well, what is the right? I mean, there there are online. I mean, uh, there are not not just Amazon. If you look in the UK, there are others on <coughs> there, the Waterstones and Blackwells. Yep, yep. There are online book retailers that survive. Right. So, what's the writing on the writing on the wall? Is that you can't be a small company? Is it? But Book Depository wasn't small. It was pretty huge towards the end.
5: Yeah, I could never understand how Book Depository was making money when it was sending books uh, for free. You know, without without paying for shipping around the world. Um, So I think what has really happened is a reality has set in. Um, You know, the difference is that in Hong Kong, we're a long way away from where the books are stored. So they have to get on a plane and fly here. And that completely changes the model for doing business. If you're in the U.K., there are warehouses um, right there and the books can be drop shipped from the warehouse uh, to to the customer in the U.K. So it's a very, very different cost problem.
2: So from your experience, in the, you said you couldn't understand how book depository, what the business model was. Your experience, you, you, you think that they might well have been losing money on there. I mean, no wonder they were so popular in Hong Kong. If they were losing money on their orders to, to Hong Kong, we were effectively subsidizing us as purchasers.
5: Wouldn't surprise me. I, mean, I, don't, I don't have any evidence of that, but I couldn't work the business model out. And you know how much it costs to send a book uh, by courier from the UK to here. Um, probably cost more than the book.
2: When you tried to make it work, I mean, you were sourcing mm. books all over the world, weren't you, uh, for Paddyfield? I mean, how did it work in terms of the business model and shipping costs when you were trying to make it work for Paddyfield?
5: We weren't really getting books from all over the world. We were getting books mostly for Britain and uh, the United States, mostly. And we would consolidate and put everything in a single shipment. So we would consolidate in the United States. So it, it was, in effect, we were arbitraging on the shipping costs
2: so that kind of business model can perhaps can still work right company in hong kong um, uh, consolidating um, items to be because if you ship in bulk obviously it's going to be much much cheaper isn't it
5: right well without book depository undercutting everybody yeah i think that's probably true
1: all right uh, let's uh let's bring in vera yoon a lecturer at the university of hong kong's faculty of business and economics miss yoon good morning good morning so so um what do you think uh, went wrong with a uh, book depository
3: I actually think it's about Amazon restructuring its business rather than focusing on, like, only the book business. Because um, I think Amazon did really well during the COVID time uh, because it's doing online shopping and people were not allowed to go out. A lot of them shop online. Its it's earnings and its performance dropped pretty uh, a lot after the COVID in nowadays the tech companies uh they are experiencing uh i think head can cut like a lot of them not only amazon it includes matter it includes google so many of them are cutting down teams that they think that don't have prospects uh, amazon did lie uh, a lot on online store like many years ago, but uh, these days it has been gradually shifting to um, web services, cloud computing, subscription model, uh, and advertising. So, still uh, online store is a substantial part of its revenue, but it's uh, gradually dropping. Uh, so, I would see this not as a bookstore closing thing, but Amazon is trying to close down things that it think is not going to work in the longer future and what they do is they lay off people restructure the team try to put resources on things that they think that have a future for example other companies are doing um, AI artificial intelligence Uh, I think Amazon focuses more on web services nowadays so I think that's why
2: so this is part of a shift, as far as Amazon is concerned, away from um, physical books to—I mean, after all, they've got an interest in promoting their uh, Kindle books as much as they can, right? They're the dominant player there. Is it, do you think this is part of that shift away from promoting physical books to online books? I think so.
3: In fact. Um you can still buy books from Amazon main site. It's just the shipping is not free. And the main site is selling many other things, including their own, own movies. You can subscribe to like online movies. And I think for books is the same. Like nowadays people, uh, there are people who like to hold a book on hand. So there's still a lot of people buying books from Amazon. Uh, but yeah, eBooks is expanding. And so I think for for book selling, for example, uh, some of your readers, audiences mentioned as like booksell, they are not really selling books in Hong Kong. They are selling coffee, tea, and, you know, stationeries. So what they're selling is the branding that if you shop there, if you buy something from there, you're middle class, you have lifestyle, you're educated. So they are not really selling books. So the book depository is really selling books so, and this kind of business actually drops.
2: Well, let's pick up on that last point that Vera Yoon raised about uh, these this, this small bookshops selling uh, lifestyle rather than books in uh, in Hong mm-hmm. Kong. Uh, James Chong, we, we yep. were talking about this before we went on air, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they, I mean, big bookstores have been closing in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. but uh, there there is a proliferation of small bookstores around town.
4: Yeah, exactly. I think like in in the past, you can see an emergence of many independent smaller bookshops around town, and I think it's isn't there's a trend. I mean, some first like many uh, many people like they have their dreams of like opening bookshops in the past and you know especially during the pandemic they find maybe it's a good chance to start at, at that time Some
2: uh, former journalists who lost their jobs with closures of papers as well right it's
4: gonna... exactly yes yes i think uh, many people from other industry will, will come to start the bookshops now and um the the beauty of it is like it's a physical bookshop it not only serves as like book selling but it's also a community center in a way, where that they can encourage people to come in and have different kind of sharings, and uh, and many different kind of like talks about new books or maybe you know old books as well. And one of the funny thing is like I heard um, one of the independent bookshops, they they try to put like pop quiz into books door sections and i think that's one of the ways that to encourage people to come in the bookshops
2: but how do the economics work i mean these in, i've been to a few these independent bookshops they're, they're, they're lovely places and they're great place to have a coffee i've never bought a book in one i mean <laughs> i've never bought a book in one they're great great to look around but wait, wait, where are they making their money on the coffee or um, do enough people buy books unlike me
4: um first of all not all independent bookshops have like um, coffee sections, and uh, I tr- I recognize that they they will try to find out like many different kind of events and sharings to attract people to come in, and somehow there is a trend that when they have a talk or some sharing, they will charge the admission fee as well. So it's it's changing from a local independent bookshop's point of view. Like not only they 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 use like book selling to earn their revenue, but also like an events management, where that the emission fee will give them a much bigger profit um, to sustain the bookshop.
2: Peter Gordon, mm. you were saying earlier that when you ran read, read Paddyfield, it was partly uh, physical presence. Mm. Uh, but uh, at that stage, you couldn't make the economics work. What, 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 do, you, what do you think of those who are, who are trying to do it to make the economics work these days?
5: Well, the economics worked for about 15 years, worked for a long time. Um, but there was a... A proliferation of competitors in especially the online space such as book depository uh, which uh, made it difficult to get the volumes we needed to continue doing it Um, i think what has happened is we may have turned the clock back by 20 years with this um geography has reasserted itself Uh, i think over the past few years uh, people have come to think that maybe You could buy any product manufactured anywhere it would be shipped to or anywhere in the world. You could get it for the same price as you could in the country where it was manufactured. And I don't think that was ever completely realistic. Um, And I think the book business, at least in Hong Kong, because of geography, has moved back to where it was maybe 20 years ago, uh, where there's a space for people to walk into a bookstore and buy the book immediately, which is one of the advantages that a bookstore has over an online bookseller especially if the book has to come in from you know 10,000 kilometers away
2: but you have to face Hong Kong's notoriously high rent. I mean these bookshops shops tend to be in uh, cheaper districts but still uh, uh, rent is a huge factor for a physical bookshop which uh, was that was the great advantage of Amazon and others at the start is they Mm. they pay rent on warehouses and so on but they don't they don't have to pay uh, rent in commercial districts.
5: You know, um, running an independent bookstore has been a tough business for a very, very long time. Um, uh, It's tough all around the world. The people that do it really want to do it because they like books. I don't think it's really entirely a commercial uh, exercise. Um, But what you need to do is you need to build up a loyal base of customers, people that like cupping into the store, people that are willing to buy the books from you and not go into the bookstore and go online and then buy the book, for example.
1: Right. And uh, Ms. Yoon, I mean, earlier you are talking about uh, how some bookshops, they um, have diversified. They're not uh, just selling books. Uh, They're selling, uh, like uh, we were talking about earlier, maybe coffee or other lifestyle products. Um, Ms. Yoon, is that the only way um, physical bookshops can survive now and future?
3: Uh, I would think so. Because of globalisation, the trade costs have been so low. And now... If you're selling books, you're competing with sellers from all over the world. Uh, so you're competing on a trade cost books on that basis. So it's very competitive. But if you're doing, sort of a local hub of book lovers, of people uh, like the culture, and become a place that people can gather, can get information, can see uh, other, uh, people who share the same interest and then it be- becomes a service it's not like selling trade goods then th- that cannot be replaced by you know online bookstore that is globally competitive because what they're offering is uh, essentially a service rather than the product so I, I guess uh, not even for a bookstore but even for like uh, other retails like uh, uh You need to offer some sort of service to the customers. It's not, customers think that they can just buy online. I think it is the same everywhere. Right,
2: uh, James Chong, we we're talking about uh, the popularity of uh, these small community bookstores and that quite a few I don't know the exact numbers quite, quite a few have opened in recent years I, I'm just wondering whether we they, they're overreached and there'll be consolidation don't they say like 90% of restaurants fail um, <laughs> um, whether we have to be realistic that uh, some, some of these small community bookstores will fail
4: I, I think like um, we still hear a lot of like uh, independent bookshop closing. You know, even the last month or this month, actually in April first, one of the independent bookshops in Mong uh, Kok just closed down. And I th- uh, one one interesting note about having um, independent bookshops about the rent issue, and um, I I would believe like running a bookshop is is a cultural business and is a some it's something that should be recognized as a. Social impact business, and so I can see. Is speaking from my experience, uh, when I tried to run like a prototype bookshops in the past, and we actually have foundation um, giving up support, giving us support to have rent rent free places in Hong Kong in a shopping center in in Wan Chai, to to run a bookshop for a short period of time. So what we're trying to do is like we, we try to. Um, make recognition of like running bookshop is a social business and we give the support from foundation or maybe other um like places owners like they let us run a bookshop at a relatively cheaper rent because like they support the action and so they also support the business to, to try to encourage people to do and another interesting thing that we've done is rather than you know renting a place um our official um, bookshop or within a industry industrial area or commercial shopping centre, we tried to run a bookshop within a hostel last year for six months. So it is a new initiative. This is how we can encourage the, um, the new readers coming into the bookstore scenes. They can see all these innovative ways to run a bookshop. So I think that's something that we can look how does,
2: at. How does running a bookstore inside a hostel work? I mean... <laughs> you still you need the physical space you need the physical space you need a separate room for it right that's uh, right
4: so we're running a small project it's not a big hostel and and it's a hostel like with like say s- uh, 10 beds or something like that so we we took like 10 of the beds like they turn in uh, we took seven we make it into like seven different sections and, and we have like independent bookshop owners to run the place like a prototype setting and people one, can actually stay one, inside.
2: One bed, one bed per bookshop owner.
4: That's right. That's right. And um, how
2: many books can you display on it? It's bed, not a lot, right?
4: but I think it's, it's just one of the ways that you can um, you can demonstrate that we can run um, bookshop creatively. And even though it's a small place and with full full of events, but um, we still encourage people to come and stay in the hotel uh, a hostel overnight, and they can actually wake up within a bookshop. I think it was a very good initiative to start with.
2: I think uh, Peter Gordon would mm. like to uh, join in.
5: I, I have two further thoughts. One is that by focusing on Amazon and Book Depository, we're really only talking about English-language books, uh, whereas, of course, Hong Kong is primarily a Chinese-language market. And Chinese-language books are, in general, not available from these other sources. So, um the, the issues in the Chinese book market are not the same as in the English book market. The other thing I would say is that not all books are available on international booksellers anyway, especially books published locally. So if there's a locally published Hong Kong book, you can't get it from Amazon in general. And even if you could, it'd be more expensive. So just as there are independent bookstores, there are also independent publishers, not just here, but also in places like Singapore. Uh, and I think local bookstores have a great role in providing these books to readers because in general you can't get them anywhere else.
2: That's an interesting point. I, the second one, I can speak from experience, having looked for locally published books on international book, book, booksellers, and you, you're quite right, you just can't find them, um, even now locally. On, on the first point, on on, uh, on the ch- ch- Chinese language, um, uh, James Chung, I mean, I, I've heard actually traditional booksellers, some of the big English chains, talking about, they say, oh, these days we have to sell Chinese books as well. They, they think the market has shifted. For, uh, English books are still important in Hong Kong, but they, they think the market balance has shifted more to Chinese books than when they were running these bookstores 20 years or so ago. Is that right?
4: I think so, but I think um, just like Peter mentioned, I think uh, it's even for big chain when they talk about um, selling more like Chinese books, but um, if it is a local setting, it is more um, vibrant when the, <clears throat> when the local independent bookshop owners they are able to the, the, manage events or sharings Based on like these local, um, locally published books, I think this is something the independent bookstores are good at. So maybe for the pet chain bookstore or maybe online bookshop, they might not be able to tap into this part where uh, the local independent bookshops are better at selling these
2: these community bookstores what would you say the balance is between of course it'll vary from bookstore to bookstore but the balance between chinese and english language books if you if you go into one of these local bookstores um predominantly chinese but with a significant number of english as well is that
4: that's right i think it's an increasing amount of english title books within these chinese independent bookstores and uh, i would say about 10 percent of the books now like and um, if
2: the english ones are much more limited they'll be selecting more carefully. what What kind of title, English titles are going to make it into a Chinese language bookstore? Ah,
4: It really depends on the original theme of that independent bookshop. For example, if one independent bookshop, they focus on history books. And so it's very likely you can find um, English history books, maybe about the history of Hong Kong uh, within that bookshop. So it it really followed the trend. I mean, follow the theme of the bookstore rather than the language.
1: But would you say that's uh, convenient for, for normal consumers? So you have to go to different bookshops uh, for, for different um, themes? I think, uh, I think that's the
4: beauty of like small independent bookshops. They, they will focus on the theme and try to find rare items, which is not usually available on bigger bookstores, and to sell them all together. So either it's in Chinese or in English that um, they can reach the same type of audience or the same type of readers.
2: Okay. And how about for online sales of Chinese books? I mean, there there are there are big um, groups now that do sell Chinese books online.
4: Uh, mainly from Taiwan, in fact. And uh, there's a giant like um, book online bookshop from Taiwan, and many people from Hong Kong they will just purchase these Taiwan books. From that online site, but Hong Kong, we don't see a very significant online Hong, uh, Chinese booksellers. It's more like tiny, independent, like um, websites selling uh, Chinese books mainly.
1: All right, and, and what about uh, the the range of um, English books available at these big bookshops? I mean, I mean, does it sort of is it enough to encourage uh, um, people to explore like new authors?
4: I think it's it's. Uh, commonly like mainly focus on bestsellers these days Mm -hmm. and uh, as you know because like people can go online and buy specific titles now and so the only room for like physical bookshops in hong kong they sell best sellers only it is indeed difficult to encourage like um new authors to be present in those bookshops.
1: All right, uh, Mr. Chong, we'll have to take a quick break up for the news uh, very soon. Let's uh, continue our discussion afterwards. And uh, Miss Yoon, thanks again for joining us this morning. Vera Yoon is an assistant lecturer at the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Business and Economics. Now, if you have any questions for our guests or just want to share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on two. Three, three, double eight, two, six, six. And here's a quick look at the weather mainly cloudy with one or two light rain patches, bright periods later with a top temperature of around 26 degrees. Right now it's 23 degrees, relative humidity is 77%. It's now 9 30 with a new summary. Here's Andrew Shirovsky.
0: Brazilian President Luiz Inacio Lula da Silva has arrived in China for an official visit aimed at boosting already deep ties between the mainland and Latin America's biggest economy. The veteran leftist who's due to meet President Xi Jinping tomorrow in Beijing arrived first in Shanghai. A missile launched by North Korea has caused alarm in Japan with millions of people being told to take cover. The Japanese government issued an emergency alert for the northern island of Hokkaido, which has since been lifted. It said its warning system had wrongly predicted that the missile would fall near land. And Saudi Arabia and Syria have discussed ways of re-establishing relations during landmark talks in Jeddah. Both sides said they were working towards ending Syria's diplomatic isolation from the Arab world. A joint statement also said steps will be taken to resume flights between the two countries. We'll have more on these and other stories
6: at
4: 10 o'clock. I am Donnie Yen, contactless e-channels. The fusion of technology with quality service. Download the contactless e-channel mobile app and complete the enrollment through I Am smart. Generate the QR code to enter an e
6: channel. Face the camera and perform facial verification. Immigration clearance is swift, contactless and more hygienic. Fingerprint verification can still be used content e-channels, leading a new way to the future. It's time to carry out repair works for aging buildings. Operation Building Bright 2.0 offers financial assistance of up to $50,000 to owner-occupiers. The Fire Safety Improvement Work Subsidy Scheme also offers financial assistance up to 60% of construction and consultant fees to owners' corporations. Applications have started. Please submit applications online, by mail or in person from now till the September 30th closing date. Call 3188 1188 for details.
1: Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is James Chong, the founder and CEO of Rolling Books, and Peter Gordon, the editor of the Asian Review of Books. He's also a founder of Paddy Field. Now, uh, just before the news summary, we're talking about uh, the uh, range of books at uh, these uh, big uh, chain bookstores. And uh, Mr Chong, you're saying uh, the range is uh, not not that wide right now, mainly focused on international best uh, sellers. Um, What sort of Impact do you think that will have?
4: Well, I think like um, with the emergence of social media and uh, many like new writers, they will get their recognition by their social media more than you know having to be found in local independent bookshops. So I think they will take the stage um, from social media rather than from the um, from from the bookshops. I think it's changing. I, of course, like uh, in the old days, we, we know about new books and new writers from bookshops, mm-hmm. but it's not anymore. But it, it, it's, it's more, like, more or less like the same thing with music and things like that. And traditionally, we went, we went to like CD store to find out new music and new songs mm-hmm. and new singers. And, but now it's shift to you know, other media.
1: Right. And uh, Mr. Gordon, what's your view on that? I mean, if I, if I bring my kids to uh, one of the big bookstores, I mean, they, they usually go straight to Percy Jackson books or Gangsta <laughs> Granny. Um, is that, I mean, is that good for, for um, kids' development in a way?
5: Is what good for kids' development? I mean, there's
1: this, uh, this um, lack of choice in books. I mean, they're, they're the lack of new authors they can explore or be exposed to.
5: Well, I think the most important thing is that kids read um, and I think if they're reading at all, that's eighty percent of the of the battle you know reading uh, is an immersive activity in the way that uh, using your phone or scrolling through things is not and so I think the first challenge is getting kids to read so our view always was if they wanted to read Percy Jackson, that was just fine um you know, I think one of the things that in children's books, especially uh, the, 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 the number of new books that comes out is very, very high. Uh, and so one of the things that's important is that uh, bookstores have turnover so that they're getting the new things in because kids see them on TV and on social media, and those are the ones they want. And this raises another difficulty that I think bookstores in Hong Kong have is that if you are a bookstore in the United States or the UK. Uh, you will normally get your books on what's called sale or return. That is, you take them, and if you don't sell them, you can send them back to the publisher. That's next to impossible in Hong Kong because oh. of the distance.
2: So uh, so that, that's a fundamental difference. Assuming well, you, yeah. um, you can still, the publishers don't charge, how does it work? The publishers don't charge you for them, but they char- you have to pay the shipping to send them back or what he said that you still you still you actually have to pay up front for the actual cost of the books as well.
5: You mean from here. Yeah. Well, if the book if the publisher has a local distributor you can make that relationship, but of course, not all publishers have distributors here and the distributors don't carry all the books. So this kind of fundamental model of the way that bookstores work in the US and the UK applies to a very small number of books in Hong Kong. Um you know, and some publishers may let you return them from overseas, but quite often they would just prefer to be paid. No, it's a so that,
2: that does fundamentally change the economics of, of bookstores yes. in, and it makes it much, much more difficult to run a bookstore. Uh, James Chong, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, how independent to uh, manage on that. I think I have
4: one, look, um, back to Janice's questions about like the lack of diversity, you know, within bookshops. And, uh, um, we have come a long way. Um, the bookshops these days are not the only one who are promoting the, the MSV of reading. There are more and more um, other organisations trying to promote reading or recommend books. So even though the diversity within a bookshop it's getting lower, but um, I think there are still many organisations or many projects like coming up, like encourage the children and the young adults to read more books. And I think we we can look into that as well because like it's not only about the bookshops who who can like promote reading, but there are many organizations doing that. Just like I started a social enterprise to promote reading, not only to sell books, because I knew deep down, like back to 20 years ago, I started a bookshop. It's very difficult to operate a bookshop, but running a business to to promote reading, that's a totally different story. And we need that as well. We not only need the bookstores who promote books? Because, like, if you promote the books and people are interested, they will find their ways to get a hold of that book by themselves, no matter how. Difficult it would be.
2: Now, we one aspect of uh, bookstores in Hong Kong we haven't touched on so far is the dominant role played by commercial press and a couple of other uh, mainland-backed uh, companies in Hong Kong. I mean, they have multiple branches around town and they have very deep pockets. Um, and yet, we've been talking about the book, in, book, book book industry for half an hour without mentioning them at all. I mean, um, how, how do you see their role, James Chong?
4: I I would believe like um, there are many different kinds of readers readers who will like think it's convenient to go to these big bookshops to buy books for their needs or for leisure, but I can see an emergence of readers who would like to have diversified views of like book selections. And so they tend to go to independent independent bookstores. And um, I think it's maybe a, a big divide between that two type of readers. But I mean, for us, for people who operate independent bookshop, we try to find out ways to improve the operations of independent bookshops. Just like last year, I s- initiate a independent bookstores sh- award to recognize um, independent bookshop who are doing well, and we had vote from readers, and we have some judges to give up some award. Even though it is a very small award, it's not a big thing, but. We want to recognize uh, bookshop owners, independent bookshop owners who find a niche in surviving in this business.
2: Do you think the demographic who goes to your shops is different from those who will pop into commercial press and so on?
4: Yes, I think so. It's quite different.
1: I just want to go back to uh, Mr. Gordon. Um, Mm. You mentioned uh, you were just talking about difficulties of uh, running a physical bookshop earlier. Um, Would um, switching to electronic books solve that problem you're talking about?
5: Well, not for the local bookstore, because those would be bought directly from from overseas, from someone like Amazon. Uh, so uh, e-books, I, I think, are fine and terrific things. And if people like them, it's terrific, but they're not great for bookstores.
1: Right. And uh, Mr. Chong, what, what do you think of uh, the role of electronic books uh, in Hong Kong right now? How, how popular uh, is it?
4: I think back before the pandemic, like three or four years ago, and when we talk about eBooks, we were really worrying about how it's going to replace physical books. But after the pandemic, things changed because like um, people get tired of looking at screens all the time. And so they turn back into physical books. So I think the, maybe the replacement rate is it's like it's decreasing and we still get hold of physical books now and I think it's partly because of the pandemic it changes the behavior of people doing reading so I think there's still a future I mean in my lifetime that people should still be holding physical books.
2: Uh, Peter Gordon, you were saying earlier with uh, locally published books mm. that they're often not available on international mm. websites. Presumably the same applies in, when it comes to ebooks, that locally published books are often not available as, as ebooks.
5: Yeah, it's also true. Um, but again, I'd, I'd agree that one of the nice things about local books is there's a local author, uh, and it's very nice for readers to meet the author. And to get a book signed, and all of these physical things that go along with that, none of which are available with eBooks.
2: What is the economics of publishing a book? I mean, the authors obviously don't get any advances or anything like that. But even then, just the economics of printing a book in um, in Hong Kong, or well, you don't, probably don't print in Hong Kong; they're probably printed in China. But um, a comparatively small print run makes each cost very expensive. Each copy very expensive, right?
5: Uh, you don't try to make very much money.
2: <laughs> but you don't want to lose money, right? No. Uh,
5: there are ways of doing it. I mean, I also have a small publisher, um, uh, which, again, was very tied into uh, author events. We only publish poetry. Uh, and there are ways of doing print runs of 100, 200 copies here that are um, financially viable. You don't make much money, but you don't lose money either.
2: You don't lose money because 100, no. 200 copies, by the time you've, you've spent time um, sort of um, proof, copy editing it and just um, and typesetting it, all those things like that, presumably that's going to eat up quite a lot of the money that comes in from 100 copies.
5: Not if people are doing it because they like books rather than financial return. I mean, I, I think that if you're, if you're in the, the book business in Hong Kong and your interests are literary, you just have to be ready to... Uh, put your time in and not really expect much return
2: uh, and i also heard once that if you want to sell a book in hong kong you should put uh, you should put hong kong in the title because that um, that uh, massively increases the sales is that something you've come across it helps it does it, help it's, right? it's one of the author's secrets, okay. or publisher's secrets isn't it to to try try and stick hong kong somewhere in the title there
5: i think one of the Best-selling books with shopping tips in Shenzhen.
2: Oh well, then that proves that there are there, there, there are exceptions. Well, yes, but it was the same basic idea. Yes. And you said you, you 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 can manage to produce books with a print run of a hundred or two hundred. What is a, What is a successful, very large print run for 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 a local book? I mean, what level are you saying? Oh, that this book's doing extraordinarily well for a locally published book. I
5: was told, you know, many years ago, fifteen odd years ago by a representative of multinational publisher that if you sold 500 books in hong kong it was a bestseller and i have no reason to think that that's changed greatly
2: so five i think it used to be didn't it dimox or so, even before that stuff they used to do uh the best-selling books uh charts so you you're you're saying that maybe on those best-selling book charts that there may be books that only sold a, a couple of hundred copies or something like yeah. that yeah. And, and each extra copy can actually make quite a big big difference to the uh, rating.
5: That's right. I mean, I think you don't have to. It's not really that surprising. The total English language book market in Hong Kong is not very large. Uh, so it's the size of a small city in the United States or the UK. So, uh, and you know, uh, five hundred books might be a market penetration of, of one of, of close to half a percent. It's a lot.
1: All right. And, and Mr. Chong, I mean, looking ahead, uh, what do you expect? I mean, do you do you expect uh, fewer of these uh, large, uh, b- big book uh, chain stores and uh, more of the independent uh, bookshops you're talking about? And what do you think uh, is going to happen in the next few years?
4: Um, that's what I hope that would happen, but it doesn't mean it will happen. Um, I think um, from our point of view, like we want to learn from each other like for the at least from the local independent bookshop scenes how we can operate these dying business so to speak and whether we encourage more readers coming into the industry or whether like we we find smarter way to save cost and promote better I think that's the way that local independent bookshop can work together to learn from each other that's my
1: view All right, uh, Mr. Chong, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, James Chong, the founder and CEO of Rolling Books. Many thanks also to Peter Gordon, the editor of the Asian Review of Books and a founder of Paddy Field. It's now 9.45 and in a moment we'll find out just how popular Hong Kong is to black-faced spoonbills.
2: 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong
6: Kong. Hi, I'm Michael Teen, Roundtable Legislator. I want to congratulate RTHK on its uh, 95th birthday. And I've always been a fan of RTHK. I think over the years they've done a very good job balancing the needs of citizens to have transparency and factual use. So I congratulate them and I believe that they will continue to do the same.
2: 95 years of public service broadcasting stay, years. Tuned
5: stay tuned with hong kong
0: you're listening to backchat call us on 233 266 and have your say
1: the Watching Society has reported a soaring number of black-faced spoonbills worldwide, but their numbers have declined significantly in Hong Kong, according to the group's annual census report. To tell us more, we're joined on the line by Yu Yatong, the director of the Birdwatching Society. Good morning, Mr. Yu. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, can you first tell us more about the findings in the annual black-faced spoonbill census? Mm-hmm.
6: Okay, uh, so now we announced the result of the annual international Blackface spoonbill uh, census yesterday. Uh, we have a mixed result. Uh, for the world, I think it is a very good news because uh, we could have a new high record for the Blackface boom Bill. Uh, we totally um, uh, record a, a, a 6,603 uh, individuals of Blackface boom Bill uh, in the, uh, East Asia region. Uh, in Hong Kong, we, def- uh, we are a bit uh, disappointed uh, because we could only get a uh, two hundred ninety-nine birds, uh, uh, which is uh, which has uh, uh, the decrease uh, from the last year about uh, for uh, seventy birds. So, uh, it is uh, quite a quite quite a concern for us.
2: Uh, can you explain why the black-faced spoon, spoonbill is, is so important for those who are, who are not familiar with this particular bird?
6: Okay. Yes, because it is a a, a globally threatened uh, species. It means that the bird uh, is facing a very high chance to uh, to uh, to become extinct uh, in the coming futures. Uh, While well, we have an uh, increasing number totally uh, in the uh, in the past uh, few decades, that is a uh, good news for this bird. But we are. To always talking about uh, what happened in the past. We talk about 30 years ago these birds, uh, the Bethlehem Spoonbill have only a very small population of only a few hundreds. On that time uh, we actually vary a lot and then uh, we could see uh, by that time we could see uh, quite a big chance the birds uh, could gone, uh, disappear uh, forever. But now after all the, all the years uh, we have uh, so many works on this uh, species to save them and then now the birds actually uh, bounce back and uh, it's just, uh, good news uh, for many of us and it's a quite successful story for bird conservation
2: in the Asia. Oh, so this is a real success story, I mean, almost like people might say uh, giant pandas as well, which were once uh, fra- threatened with extinction, it, it's a success story in Asia and in the world, but you're saying not in Hong Kong, because in Hong Kong, the numbers are, mm-hmm. see, I mean, I think it was said within it used to be that um, uh, 20% of the p- world population or something would, would pass through Hong Kong in the past, but the numbers mm-hmm. just keep declining.
6: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you you mentioned the, the the correct factors. In the past we have about well uh ten to twenty percent of the world uh population of the uh women coming to Hong Kong but now because uh the global population has uh has increased and then the uh the number in Hong Kong decreased, the population uh the 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 percentage of the uh women in Hong Kong uh in this country just reached about uh four percent. So you see, um yeah, we, we have not uh, Hong Kong is not very very good at the moment for the Blackface bill. So what's Hong Kong doing wrong? Uh wow. Well. Sorry to tell you about that. We actually don't know much because uh, we definitely need more scientific study to, to find the reason. Uh, but we could have a few uh, speculation. Uh, so uh, the birds come to Hong Kong uh, to stay winter. I think two two factors are very important for them, uh, the disturbance and the food. If we have quite a, a high uh, frequency of human disturbance of the birds and also uh, we have uh, uh, relatively few food uh, for, the, for the birds to survive over the winter, then the birds would choose uh, other place
1: while i stay staying in Hong Kong Right I actually did see one uh, flying near the Star Ferry Pier in uh, Chim Cho just over the weekend <laughs> <laughs> trying to look for food that's um, I mean it's not exactly the best environment for the bird is it?
6: Oh, the 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 uh, is definitely a wetland specialist. It means that they always stay in the uh, uh the wetlands, and then the the, the wetland they live is a a shallow water area uh, with the uh, coastal mudflat. Uh, uh, those those uh, habitats usually are uh, uh, find in the uh, estuary area uh, in in in, 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 uh, in South China. So yes, uh, the uh, Hong Kong we have a very good wetland system in the north. West are new territories. That is the main stronghold for these species.
1: So, is it kind of strange to see one near the Star Ferry?
6: Um, well, I didn't see your birds, but I would like if I could see I need definitely need pay more attention to see all the 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 of the, the birds to make sure it's a real blackface spoonbill. but if it is true, this is a very quite a remarkable uh record for uh, yeah for uh urban urban Hong Kong area
1: All right. and and earlier you said um, um the number of black uh, blackface spoonbills in Hong Kong have uh, declined so so where are they going I mean what's the most uh, popular location for these uh, birds
3: um
6: we, we don't we don't do uh, we haven 't done enough uh, tracking of the birds, so we cannot identify the the, the movement of each individual's uh, but this is quite an expensive uh, 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 study but from the uh, the changes of the numbers in different places, yeah we may think some birds actually move to the uh, other sites in uh, uh, in coastal china probably uh, uh, to guangdong as well to Fu, uh, to Fu, uh, to Fu, uh, as well but also uh, when we check the number in uh, Taiwan, we definitely have more birds in Taiwan uh, this year. So the birds may actually, um, uh, last year, they come to Hong Kong and then they don't feel good. And then they, come, uh, they go back to the Korean Peninsula for breeding. And then after that, they may go to Taiwan rather than choosing to, uh, to stay in Hong Kong, something like that.
1: All right. So so how can we attract them back to Hong Kong?
6: Well, I, 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 I just mentioned uh, two speculations. So we uh, actually could do some uh, few experiments about that. To try to make sure the place uh, with uh, good control of the hum- uh, human visitor in the uh, area and then we try to uh, manage the fish pond uh, to provide plenty of food for them and then let's see if they, they, ca- they can come back or not and then uh, check the number whether they can increase or not
2: uh, And how about the uh, development of the northern metropolis do you think this will affect uh, uh, th- them in a, in a good or a bad way?
6: Uh, this is a very very great concern for us uh, when government announced the uh, development plan, uh, they also announced that they will make a, uh, they will make they will put some effort. They have already have a plan to do uh, wetland conservation in the in the area. I hope this could be done uh, as soon as possible. Uh, because now we see that the decrease of the breakfast boom even before the start of the work of the construction work, uh, so we must we must make sure the uh, habitat quality, the welland quality, uh, must be in in uh, must be maintained for the future for the future for the for the and also for the future of the breakfast boom So I think uh, some um, uh, habitat management work can be stopped now. For example, I just mentioned that uh, Try to man- uh, manage the fish pond as good as possible for the birds. So yes, make sure make sure the birds have uh, enough uh, food and also a free
1: the disturbance. And Mr. Yu, I remember, uh, I remember speaking to you uh, maybe a few months ago about mm-hmm. an, an endangered duck, the uh, scaly-sided yeah. merganser, <laughs> that was spotted uh-huh. in Hong Kong um, before. Um, I mean, would you say Hong Kong is attracted to some endangered species and, and, mm-hmm. and not so much for, for others? I mean, is it just, uh, it's not, you know, just about uh, whether the habitat is uh, suitable or not? Uh,
6: well, um, yeah, you could say both yes or no, yes and no. Uh, well, it depends on uh, what what species. Uh, the the skittish they like uh, their different habitats than the uh, breakfast boom mill. Uh The, the magenta go to the reservoir. It, uh, uh, it is in the country park uh, in the, in the country park area. It is rather safe, but the breakfast boombill stay in the fish pond, stay in the wetland in the northwest uh, new territories. Some are actually private land. Uh so yeah we need to see how we could do uh, better for wetland conservation in the private land as well. So yeah, I mean yeah, yeah yeah you, what you say all true, uh but uh, yes, you, yeah we, we may uh, but it is not the um the same comparison.
2: And of course, in Hong Kong, in Hong Kong, used to be my po used to be internationally famous in the past, and um, Hong Kong was widely recognised as important mi- migrationary stop, wasn't it, for birds? Um, and now you're saying that the numbers of the blackface spoonbill are m- much lower. Is, is this just about the blackface spoonbill, or is Hong Kong just sort of uh, generally becoming a le- less important uh, migratory spot, or, or place where we will find these kind of rare birds and other birds as well?
6: Yeah. Absolutely. The numbers, yeah, you could say that because yeah, the 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 numbers is increasing, but the Hong Kong number is rather uh, stable or somehow decreased as well. So yeah, you would say the beverage spoon mill, Uh the Hong Kong may not be so important for the for the beverage spoon mill, but we need to keep that status because this, they are migratory birds; they need many places for their uh, survival. So uh, yeah, Hong Kong is still important, and also you also mentioned that Hong Kong is a very famous, uh, Michael is very famous for the uh, for uh, in the world about the. the 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 uh, resources to maintain the top quality of the uh, wetlands, yeah, to to maintain the uh, the the the, 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 uh, the good condition of the
2: site. But what I mean is for other birds, not the black faced uh, spoonbill. Are, are we seeing a sort of a similar trend that uh, the Hong Kong is a declining proportion of of, of these birds as well, or is <laughs> it only the black faced spoonbill? We're seeing this or other birds as yeah. well. So, uh, this is something about Hong Kong then? If, if it's not just about one, one bird, it's about, other, it's, it's about our conservation management, about problems with our conservation management, I guess.
6: Oh Yes, definitely. I mean, uh, Maipo uh, is a place for, uh, not only for the buffets, but for many, many other different uh, waterbots. Uh, some of them are also globally threatened. So yes, Maipo is very important.
1: And uh, you just said uh, that some, some bird species have increased in Hong Kong. Can you give us some examples?
6: Uh, Yes, Uh, well, we have uh, we have some birds uh we have some water birds uh we probably think uh, because of the, uh, the the changing of the habitats or changing of the climate they may make them uh, to have a good place uh, uh, a better condition uh to to, to to uh to come to hong kong uh, for example um the um, uh, the uh, pi infoset and uh, uh, yeah yeah it is also a migratory birth coming to Hong kong well in the past we just have a few hundreds but now we could have a thousand in the uh, in the winter times uh, it also related to the uh, um, uh, the habitats in the other places as well actually uh, the other places have been destroyed and they have to come to Hong Kong to stay that is also the way uh, we find the birds are uh, in Hong Kong as well
1: all right and uh, you, you talked about how we uh, need to improve our um, conservation policy here um, but what, what can individuals do uh, well, we definitely need more people to share the story of the Banfface Boombill.
4: <laughs> uh, this is very important because when people know about the birds, they will love the birds and then
6: they will also love the environment of the birds as well. So, when we know about more of the breakfast boom Boombill, and then more people would know about the wetland, and then we, they will understand what is the importance of the wetland as well. So, yes, we definitely, uh, each uh, of us could actually um, to make concern, to start interest about the birds, uh, to, to know about their story, uh, the, the Banfface Boombill story. Is, actually quite in, inspiring one so yes i think yeah people yeah yes yeah, should 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 talk about more about Facebook.
2: so we should know more but anything where especially people who own property in the, in in the new territories anything you could do on a practical level i mean in terms
6: <laughs> Well, definitely make sure uh, we, 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 we 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 need to have, to make our, our eyes on the on the wetland uh, existing wetland, uh, make sure no illegal dumping could happen, and then all these kind of things, and also yeah, need to report to our to our related uh, uh, departments about those those kind of things. Yes, yeah, this is also important as so
2: well. How does illegal dumping? How, how does that? What's the connection there?
6: Well, the illegal dumping usually happen in the uh, in the wetland. So, when the wetland has been filled, have been filled up, it is very difficult to uh, to to restore the the, the wetland system. So, uh, yeah, if you don't know that it's illegal or not, it is not important. But report it first, and then let the uh, other people to find out if it's illegal or not.
1: And uh, what what, what um, area do you think the government can focus on when they look at uh, their mm-hmm. conservation policy?
6: Well, we definitely need government to make a, a, a long-term plan uh, on the wetland conservation, and then also we need to allocate resources on how to do the habitat management on on on, on the site, and then we definitely need to maintain the wetland site uh, in in top quality. That that need resources. So yeah, yeah. So I think government can also uh, start to do it.
1: All right, so uh, Mister Yu, we uh, have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us much. this morning. That's Yu uh, Yatong, the director of the Bird Watching Society. Many thanks also to you who, who you commented or emailed us today and uh, of course uh, to our producer Angie and uh, I'll be back with Danny Gittings tomorrow for another edition of Back Chat.